Hey friends, welcome to the reclamation. We're so excited to have you here and for you to listen to this amazing conversation we're about to have, Malia and I and Jen, our guest today. Now, what I wanted to introduce a little bit before um, we share the episode is that the reclamation's purpose is to be a safe place for all to come and to discuss our beliefs, where we where we were, where we are now, and how we've found found reclamation in that. Now, there is going to be some talk about faith transition and when we do talk about this. We just want our listeners to know that we love and support all in their unique, wherever they're at, like come as you are. That's our belief. And so when you hear Jen discuss her faith transition out of the LDS religion, please keep in mind that Malia and I are very supportive of everyone, even if you are still active in the LDS um, church and religion. We just are such big advocates of unique individual journeys. So when you do hear her story, please keep in mind that we are holding space for her in this conversation. And it is so empowering. You're going to love various aspects still. She and we all talk about some really beautiful messages around the body and reclaiming ourselves in it, in our feminine nature. Please tune into your heart. This is a really beautiful episode and Jen has a fire that will light you up. So let's jump in. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to our next episode on the Reclamation. We, Kelsey and I, are so excited. Oh, I told you I would say this every time, didn't I? <laughs> I got to do something. Here we go. This is starting to sound like like Survivor and The Bachelorette when it's like, this is the most dramatic season we've ever had. And you start to just <laughs> not, whatever, whatever, right? Okay, so we're so excited about our guest today. We actually found her from a past guest, friend of a past guest. Her name is Jen Olson, and we are so excited to hear about her story. I wanted to read a quick blurb from her website. Uh, something that she values is um, something that she proclaimed on her website was the value of women does not come from fitting into a single ideal, but that they are inherently beautiful for freely being themselves and for the efforts to be so many things to others. I super love that. And uh, with that, I want to welcome our guest, Jen Olson to the podcast. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's really nice to be here. Yes. And uh, like we've talked, super our pleasure. And I love when it feels both ways because it's just this meeting that can be really like fireworks. Everyone feels really glad to be there. Okay, Jen, I would love for you to start out. Tell Tell us about yourself that gives us a good idea of where you've come from, your childhood, where you were raised, and then lead us into who you are now and take us away on your story of your personal reclamation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So I am a military brat, Air Force. And so I lived all over the place, born in England and mostly spent time stateside, but did spend a little time in South America too. Um, So I love how I grew up. Obviously, I don't know anything different, um, but I liked it. I liked moving around. So that was a, you know, it's fun part of who I am. I'm very, I'm a freak extrovert. Like I love people. Mm-hmm. I'll sacrifice anything to connect with a human being. Oh, I feel you there. I feel you yeah. to an extreme, I love right? It. <laughs> yes. I was like such a good student all through school. Like I, I cared so deeply about pleasing my teachers, but in high school, the only time I got detention was because of collective tardies for talking in the hall. Yeah, Yeah, there's so much to say in this life. So much to say. (laughs) That's really cool. That's very unique, like you said. And I think, did you feel like it offered you a really well-rounded idea of what the world has to offer? Yeah. I mean, again, as a kid, you kind of don't know any different, right? Yeah. Like you, 
you have nothing else to compare it to, but mm-hmm. I, I'm really happy that I have some worldly experience under my belt. And, um, yeah, I hope, I mean, we just moved to a small town, my husband and I and our two girls, uh, and it's been on my mind, like, oh, how am I going to get my kids some exposure, you know, because uh-huh. I think it can be powerful to live abroad for a while. So, um, yeah, so moved around. I, uh, when I started college, my that's when my family moved to South America. I was always like an artsy person, like I loved musical theater and you know, choir and loved singing. And uh, that was really encouraged in our home. So I was a music major and I went to a small college in Arizona. Uh, It's like BYU, Arizona, guys. It's like so tiny, like a little glorified high school. Uh, is Is it a BYU school? No, it's called Eastern Arizona College. I was okay. that's where I met yeah. my husband, actually. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I played Eastern Arizona. I was in a community oh. college in Wyoming. Oh, were you? Yes. Yeah, and I played wild. volleyball. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Jay and I met there. We met at church. We dated for like a year and a half, and then we actually broke up. I went to BYU Idaho. Um, to finish, you know, to get my bachelor's degree. And I actually married another guy. Oh, I, wow. I know. It's very dramatic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks a twist. <laughs> yeah. So my mom set me up with a guy that the branch knew him as Hot John. He was very attractive, oh, wow. very handsome, but uh, the marriage was not a positive experience for me. So it ended about two and a half years in. And that's a pretty key, at least for me, it's definitely a key uh, formative experience for me for my Mm -hmm. reclamation, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was definitely stepping outside of the script that was handed to me, you know, like, this is what you do to be a good woman, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Tell me more about that. What, what, what do you mean you were stepping outside of the script in relationship to this experience with being oh married gosh. to Hot John? Yes, this is good too because this is something like I don't know how to have light chit chat like with all the right all the people that I connect with. I'm like, I'm sorry that I'm not just chatting about music and movies. Why don't we talk about my divorce and therapy? And yes. <laughs> okay, this is why we're well, instant welcome. friends, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't do small talk. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so uh, the marriage was rough. I barely knew him when he proposed. Um, mm-hmm. Had a lot of red flags during the engagement, which was like three months, you know. Yes. Uh, and if I, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with LDS culture, but I was raised uh, in the LDS church. And so that was a, just a little more common and normal in that culture. For sure, yeah. So that's the Mormons, if you're not familiar with LDS. Yes. That's the Mormons. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyways, I, like I got married in an LDS temple. I thought 100% I was going to be the prophet's wife. Oh, <laughs> like, John the prophet. Yeah, yeah. I I was super in, in it to win it. Like I was, you know, I was a Relief Society president and a paid seminary mm-hmm. teacher and an EFY counselor. So people, again, people who are familiar with LDS culture, they'll know what this means. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was super in it. And um, I, again, I think this, my, my poor ex-husband who, you know, just had a lot of family trauma. Hindsight, I feel like he was loving me the best he could. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, needed a lot of therapy, like we all probably mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And so about two and a half years into the marriage, um, I had kind of chatted with a few people in my life about sort of what was going on. And they were like, Uh-oh, that's, that's not okay. And mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate that I had a lot of support in exiting oh, yeah. that marriage. Um, yeah. So did you feel like there was a script that you followed going into it kind of like this is the next step of my life it makes sense it's just here you go you're riding the conveyor belt yes yes and I I think for me more than just riding the conveyor belt I think I was like almost like an overachieving Mormon so I wasn't just like la-di-da I'll just do what's handed to me if I have to I was like making lists and had goals and wanted to be the best 
woman ever. And part of that for me was to find a good husband and to have them babies. Okay. So like the whole context of my life was, gosh, even choosing a career. Like I remember, like I loved music so much and the advice I was given by many people in my life kind of went something like this, like, you need to go to college in case you never get married or in case something happens to your husband and you need to support your family, right? Wow. What a powerful, like, two words there, in case. Yeah. Yes. That, wow. So you were, you were the one that was on the conveyor belt, running the conveyor belt, and also like yeah. being first in line. <laughs> totally. And getting everyone on board with me. I'm like, yeah. You're going to be oh, so God. happy here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So I was definitely that person. So for me, when my marriage ended, it was, uh, yeah, it was like devastating. Right. And mm-hmm. the, the, for me too, like everyone has their own story. Anytime I meet anyone that's gone through a divorce, I'm like up top for divorce, baby. <laughs> like, was the marriage the hard part or was the divorce the hard part? For me, the marriage was the hard part. The divorce okay. was the easy part. Um, the, the aftermath of that, though, was sort of me questioning a lot of my choices and what was important to me. And um, anyways, at, uh, shortly after my divorce, this I was a music teacher at the time. I was teaching choir uh, to little middle schoolers. How precious, how precious is that? Oh my gosh. Is it? I don't know. I love middle schoolers so much. Although I'm pretty sure most people, if I was like, Hey, uh, why don't you go direct a middle school choir? They'd be like, that's a fate worse than hell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. I think that we need the ones who love it to be there. Yes. And just FYI, I was one of those middle schoolers, so I I get it, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I was yeah, in choir in like seventh grade. Teacher, or was your choir teacher kind of crazy? She was. Uh, she was. I don't know. She didn't talk a lot, but I really like. I loved learning from her, and it helped me yeah. in finding a little more of my voice than I had. So that's why I appreciated it. Yeah, I think like the camaraderie and some fellowship and like, it's such a formative time for kids. They're all Mm -hmm. wobbly. They don't know who they are yet. Yeah. 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 I I was teaching music at the time. That was very fulfilling for me. I'm so glad that I did have work and no kids during this divorce. Yeah. Um, And yeah, just trying to sort through my life and my husband, uh, he, who, who we had dated for like a year before he had reached out. I kind of heard through the grapevine that I was uh, possibly divorced. And he was like, no way. There's no way she's divorced because she's probably the prophet's wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> she would not do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he got in touch and we, you know, we dated long distance for about a year. Um, and then he proposed and we got married. Uh, and wow. it, was a be- it was a beautiful story. Like I felt a lot of redemption and oh. meeting him and, getting a second chance. And I remember my grandma, uh, when she, she met him for the first time, she, she said, it is just a miracle that you didn't get married all those years. Oh no. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so we got married and we lived in Utah at the time. And this was kind of when we were both transitioning out of our high demand religion. So mm-hmm. it was a long, uh, long phase for us. It took about six years before, mm-hmm. and again, a, lo- a lot of pain and anxiety for anyone who's ever experienced any kind of um, transition out of your tradition or your culture. Um, it is rough. It's so yeah. rough. Yeah. Um, so that, that was tough. Uh, but we... Yeah, but but I feel like we did it and we're on like the other side that I think is full of a lot of fulfillment and joy too. So Yeah. Do you mind highlighting maybe one or two things that were that can stand out to as being the more difficult aspects of you know, leaving tradition <laughs> behind? Yeah. yeah. Um 
I mean, I think for me, I just had a lot of stories about, again, I don't think I could have articulated this to you at the time, but I Mm. had strong stories and narratives about what it looked like to be a good woman Mm -hmm. and um, to step outside of those parameters. uh, And for me, that was like attending church, having a calling, um, giving myself in the service of my community, my family, prioritizing. Like I knew when we uh, were going to have our first daughter, Emily, I, it was almost like not even a discussion. It was automatic that I would be the stay at home caregiver. Like there's no, there's no like discussion about equity, about labor division, about a visible work. That's not even on, right? Yeah, no. It's not, and can I say, it wasn't just not on my radar. I just feel like no one was talking about it. No, yeah. Like that. Back in olden times in 2016. Yeah, no, but you are right when you say olden times because we all know yeah. how much change we've all, the world over, has undergone yeah. in the last several years. So yes. those were the olden days for sure. Yes. Yeah. Definitely less of a partnership and more of a division like this is your, this is where you belong. This is where yes. I belong. In fact, the LDS Church has. Um, a proclamation that is upheld as, as scripture that states, this is what a man will do. This is what a woman will do. And um, it's very outdated now because even within the LDS culture, there's more partnership relationships as the (laughs) younger generation is coming in with their different ideals and the older people. Well, like the middle line people are there's rebellion happening. So there's a lot of disruption in relationship um, right now. So, yeah, there really is. Yeah, Yeah. there really is. But at at that time it wasn't, I felt a little fringy with like my ideas. Right. And Oh, okay. So at that time, at uh, 2016, you're having your first child. I'm having my first baby. Mm-hmm. And this is where, this is when I, after like a six year faith crisis, mm-hmm. I, it was the first time that I had acted or stepped outside of the parameters of my faith. So which what, was to work outside the home? No, uh, for me, that's like when I had like, I think that year I had like a sip of coffee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You know, like I had, I tasted wine later that year. I, Mm -hmm. I bought a tank top and a pair of shorts Mm -hmm. and like, Mm -hmm. I'm in the target dressing room texting my friends, like, and these are friends who have, you know, don't know Mormons from Adam, right? They're, they're not familiar with the culture. And I'm like, Hey, are these, are these shorts like too slutty? And they're like, nope, Jen, they're, they're just normal shorts, honey. (laughs) But for me, like, Yeah, I might as well have been wearing nipple tassels out in public. Okay? Yes, yes. No, truly. Oh, yeah. That's how it felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, th- this is kind of this big changer. This is, I, like, talked to my parents. I was, you know, really nervous to chat with my parents about this because I didn't want to disappoint them. Hmm. And because I had lived the life within so devoutly I knew personally how painful it was to see someone that you love fall away because to them and to me at a different time in my life this was like the one true path to unlock joy Mm -hmm. and I was essentially to me I don't feel like I was rejecting it at the time to me it felt like everything just like crumbled and fell apart and I just sat in the rubble for years, like six years, trying to make something out of, again, like it just felt, my, my faith felt completely um, obliterated, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, it was sort of this act for me. It, now I view it as like an act of radical integrity where wow. oh it was gosh, like, I love that so much. <laughs> so glad yeah I really (laughs) love that oh because it felt like it was going to kill me if I didn't Mm -hmm. I I really it was going to kill me if I kept 
I don't know if I kept even attending church meetings at this point, like, and some of these are common issues in the LDS community, but like, I was a choir teacher, y'all, like, you can't tell me that like fabulous James in fifth grade is choosing to be gay. Like he's gay. He was born that way. Please. Can we not like purport these harmful rhetorics to the queer community? Mm. <sighs> Anyways. Yes. So, yeah. so there were a lot of things that I think, you know, 20 year old Jen, I don't know. I just, I don't think I had the need to think for myself at that point. Mm. Um, because the system was working for me really well. So it wasn't until the system kind of like that I was on the fringe or marginalized as a divorced woman Mm -hmm. that I finally had to kind of wake up to some of these, I think, I think like harmful, some of them are cultural principles. I think some of them are doctrinal and I think they can hurt people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not just restricted to like the LDS church. I think American culture has harmful rhetorics and Mm storylines that we're trying to change you know yeah so I have this interesting question based off this because I'm I'm in this thinking right now and I just I wrote a piece on this just last night and it was this point that you've come to where the old is dying away it's dying away because there's no other way and it sounds like that's where you were and uh, we reach that radical act of integrity when we know there's no other way. And I love that you said you started thinking because the system didn't work for you anymore. Yes. And so in in this, you start to think and it starts your story and then the pieces start to crumble, die off, that yeah. there's, this, there's this part right before like, final death where we reach back and latch again because it there's just the parts that we hold special and sacred and also just safe this is safe this is safe and over there is darkness and I don't know what exists over there I just know I I must have it I must have what's over there and so do you feel like that rubble that was that you were sitting in all around you. And I'm so visual, like I see this happening as actual rubble of a building to get up and to walk out of the rubble. You were six years in that, you know, was part of it because there was that safety that did lie there. And what, what was beyond the rubble unknown, scary. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, this idea that there was safety, even though I was like sitting in rubble for so long. Yeah. That's absolutely why I stayed there. Yeah. Like I remember saying, this is so, it's so funny to me now, but it felt so real. Like I was like, how am I going to make friends? I was telling my sister, how am I going to make friends? It's going to be impossible to find a community and to make friends. And she was like, Oh, like you're going to make them. It's going to be fine. And it was, (laughs) But yeah, it, wow. it seemed like, how, how am I going to raise my kids? Like, how yeah. am I going to teach them right from wrong? How? And I think, too, when you do, if you have ever experienced leaving a high demand religion or parting from tradition, I think it, it's the kind of upheaval where you're, um, it takes you to ground zero, right? Where you're like, I like, do I believe in God? Do I believe in like a holy purpose for my life? Do what are we here for? Like all of these kind of important questions I was taught that I, first of all, questions that I was taught that that were important and questions that I was taught I needed to have answers to. Right. Uh, uh. Oh, sorry. Did you, I don't know what that was. (laughs) (laughs) Questions, balloons. Yes. (laughs) Celebrate, celebrate. Yes. Um, yeah, so I definitely stepped into, um, I I think at that time I stepped into the void, which I, for me was sort of this space of atheism and nihilism for a long Mm -hmm. old time, my friends. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, I don't regret that. I'm not sad about that. I think Mm -hmm. that it was, oh gosh, like I remember some of my Christian friends, they always were like, oh, you poor Mormon, like come over here. And for me, I'm like, oh, it's all like food poisoning. I can't, do you know what I mean? Like if you have food poisoning because you eat salsa and then someone's like, but try this other salsa and you're like, oh, I can't. Um, Okay, 
Yeah. So I, I start painting. I love the privacy of my practice. It's not performative at all. It doesn't, I don't include anyone in my art. And of course, all the art I'm creating at the beginning is like, it's really ugly. <laughs> and I love that too. Do you know what I mean? Like not yeah. everything has to be pretty. So I noticed that as I kind of improve in my skill, I'm really attracted to drawing uh, or painting scenes of motherhood and the nude female form. And at the time, I couldn't have told you why I did that. I just, it was like therapy. Um, and I had a few friends who encouraged me to share, you know, on social media, which I had like, I didn't even know how to use Instagram. I was like, what, what are the interwebs? How, what is uh, real? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was co like totally inexperienced. And um, anyways, I just had some like really awesome, encouraging voices in my life that were like, you should share your work, like put it out there. And like right away had, um, I'm, I'm going to cry a little bit. I just had outreaches for like, can you, can you create something for me? And I think the, how validating that was at a time in my life when I felt so brutally invisible. Um, man, I just, I had felt so ignored and shut up and buried by the work that was required of me as a mom. And I felt like most of my life, the stories I had, this narrative I had about being a mom was that it was going to be the most like beautiful, fulfilling, like finally um, it was going to be fulfillment unlocked, right? And um, that is not what it felt like for me. Um, buried in that work and anyways as I continue to uh, paint and sort of wake up to why I was painting what I was painting for me um, <laughs> I think the reason I was so like I, I kept painting mothers nursing like I wanted to capture moments of women that were nursing or with their babies I had some women send over oh I love I love birth moments where right? The moment mm. they meet their baby. Oh, yes. I love that so much. But I think the reason I was drawn to that is because I had, I think internally had just really had it with um, socially being ignored. And I felt, again, I couldn't have told you at the time, but now I'm like, yeah, I, women deserve to be acknowledged for what they do. Mothers deserve to be acknowledged like I want to shine a spotlight on their labor and on their efforts and when I say labor I I mean literal right like yeah. labor yeah oh um so it definitely started with <clears throat> started with works of motherhood I love the nude form my friends I love it so much <laughs> and only ladies there's always like a men never know how to handle this right when I say that I'm a female form artist they're like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> When you, when you paint, you want to paint my wife? Uh-huh. You want to paint me? <laughs> Your wife with her consent. Yes. Wow. That's so awesome. I actually have a background in art and I also just, it's so beautiful. And so looking at your work, I was like so inspired and intrigued by your, your focus of the female form. It's just truly a celebration of what it is to be a woman and to own that with with love. <laughs> so I, I love hearing how you felt invisible and, and then found yourself through this. And I want to hear more about like that process of from invisible to starting to do more and more work for others. Well, you, I, I, I like what you said, just that like learning as a woman to own yourself with love, that's, that is a lofty goal. And yeah. if you were raised when we were raised in America, like if you were raised in heroin chic time, um, you're dealing Did with you some heroin chic, 
Yeah, in the 90s, okay. like when yeah. everyone was obsessed with a Victoria's Secret model body. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. slamming the Victoria's Secret model body. Like, I love all the bodies. Like, you have big yeah. boobs and a tiny and tiny hips. I'm very happy for you. But that was fed to us. Like, this is, oh, yeah, I get really passionate about this. But there's there's one coin with two sides, okay? One side to me is the side that I believe that what we have been fed qualifies as sexy or sensual or attractive. Uh, it is so limiting. Yeah. And I reject it flat out. I'm like, no, there are so many shapes and sizes and colors and folds and jiggles that yeah. are included in this umbrella of what is sexy, attractive, and sensual. Yeah. And then the other side of the coin is it is not my job to show up on this earth and be attractive for you in the first place. Like yeah. that is not why my body, that's not why I have a body. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is literally making, like, making me cry. <laughs> that is part of, yeah. It's, it's hard to get there. So this idea like, yeah, I'm going to own my body and love it. Or, or even I'm going to own my body and feel neutral about it right yeah. like we don't feel neutral about our stomachs we we were taught from the time we were born to hate ourselves yeah. and our poor mothers had it so much worse than we did yeah um so again i i cite a lot of examples of you know things i heard when i was growing up uh but the truth is i don't like i don't blame my mom she's shouldering a generational wound that uh she was harmed so much worse than i i was um, yeah. you know, from the messages that were, that, that she grew up hearing when she was a kid, right. About her body. Yeah. And I also think that there's like, it's twofold, um, as far as like, you know, there's many hurdles to jump, but for me and my art practice with female form, I, there's two hurdles that I, I want to strive to jump and that I want to help other women jump. So the first hurdle is, um, you know, the messages that we received around, being skinny and this like toxic diet culture, right? You're only mm -hmm. valuable if you're skinny. Everyone wants to be skinny. Everyone's chronically talking about being skinny and losing weight. And um, oh, one of my and only complimenting when you have lost weight. Yeah, oh, you lost weight. You look so good. And then someone says like, "Great, I have cancer. That's why." And then you feel like a piece of shit. Like, <gasps> yeah, like oh, oh, that's so interesting. I just thought that we like I totally do that I mm -hmm. I compliment somebody who has lost weight because yeah. I think they've worked really hard to lose the weight right yeah. but I'm reinforcing the narrative when I do that so there's I just was taught there for sure oh. I mean we had that model for us right our whole lives yeah. like you, you look so good what have you done to lose the weight like we've that's been modeled for us our whole lives. So it's pretty radical to change that narrative and to refuse to do that. The first time I had a girlfriend, this is a long time ago, but she had a baby and I had said, oh, I had said to her, wow, um, I can't believe you just had a baby. You look amazing. What did you do to lose the weight? And she covered her daughter's ears. She had like a, you know, five or six year old. She covered her daughter's ears. She was really polite, but she was like, I don't like to talk about weight in front of my daughters. Mm. And it was the first time that it had been on my radar that mm. like, this is like, she's breaking a generational wound, right? When yeah. she does that. And I want to do that too. So that interaction got those wheels turning for you. Yes. Would you say that that was the like catalyst to, uh, you know, often the catalyst is this big moment, but they're the small things that start the thinking wheels. I definitely had a collection of small experiences and that is a, a key, you know, a key experience where I was like, oh, maybe that's not appropriate. <laughs> Like maybe, yeah, but yeah. you're not quite sure why or what that relates yes. to yet and how you feel with it yet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I definitely think that the hurdles presented to us with toxic diet culture and like body trends, um, 
you know, I, I really like, I think a lot of my client base, they're women who are confronting that and trying to change that. And then probably the one that I relate with more personally is um, toxic purity culture. Um, so and this is, this is kind of a lot to unpack. And so I'm, the, the best way I can sum it up is that the context of my sensuality and my body, a hundred percent of the time for me, when I was a teenager, when I was growing up in my church culture and my and society at large, I was presented this idea that your body is so tempting and so dangerous and so bad that if you don't cover it up and protect the men in this world, uh, you're going to pay for that somehow, right? And for me, that was often in the context of sin or like guilt. Guilt. Yeah. Uh Shame. Yeah. Yes. And so no one, like no one was talking to me about my sensuality, my appetites, my desires, what I like, what I don't like. That wasn't even... That wasn't yeah. even on my radar. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. so, so when I say that I had a feminist awakening, it was kind of this moment of like, oh my gosh, like I, I get to have my own, uh, I guess, desires. Like I get to wake up to what I think is attractive or not attractive. I have, I'm entitled to my own sensuality that isn't dependent on how I look or how much I weigh or how old I am the same way. Again, my husband, I wish I could, I wish I could get the words right. But one of the things he's brought up to me is how he um, makes him kind of angry, how any female politician or any woman in power or any woman at, at a microphone, like has to really care about her appearance. Like her makeup is done, full hair. She's like, you know, dressed real cute. He's like, look at all of these trolls in Congress. Like that, I don't know. <laughs> like men just get to get old and just be a yes. person and not have to be pretty for other people. Like they get to yeah. just be a mind. Wrinkles are not a big deal. Yes. No. Sunspots, anything. Yeah. <laughs> Right. They don't care. Like, yeah. show me a man that's like chatting with his girlfriends about their Botox and their laser therapies and their skin cream. And I'm not better than anyone, y'all. I use a skin cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I was just, I, I invested in the frownies and I looking at my husband and I'm like, oh let's put these on you too. And he did, he wore them one night and the next day he's like, I don't care. Yes. And yeah. I was like, what a luxury. Wow. Yeah, really. What a luxury. And Jen, I love what you said about sensuality. I mean, no, Kelsey did too. We had an episode on sensuality in women and we talked about how, you know, part of the reason why we, we live so outside of ourselves and women are just like crazy in this space is because we're we were ever taught that rooting down and being in our bodies is a really beautifully safe warm welcoming best place that you could be very sacred and we were we were taught all the things that you're talking about about our bodies be healthy by trying all of these things and you know dress this way act this way and in the end we have lost touch and literal touch yes. with ourselves and yes. and our nest that lies here. And, and you're, you're talking about your appetites, your desires, all that really expanding upon sensuality. And so I, we both appreciate that message a lot. And we love hearing your own take on, you know, exploring that and inviting that back into your life. And I'd love for you to share maybe a few things that you, you, what steps did you take to say, um, I'm, I'm going to be more sensual. I, I'm going to choose these things. 
Yes. I mean, I think for me, my art practice has been, it's been massively important for me. And I think every woman has their, um, anytime you can access curiosity or creativity, I think that you can unlock some really powerful um, paths that I think you need yeah. to walk down. I will say mm -hmm. um, the last couple of years, I've taught at some reclaiming female sexuality retreats and um, at some like, you know, runaways. And I think being in safe spaces with women has changed my life. Um, it honestly feels like my new church. One of my jokes at one of these retreats, I was like, sex church for girls. That's, that sounds really <laughs> scandalous, but it really was like, women really super duper repressed women trying to like unpack all of the damage that was done so it's not as hot as it sounds okay yeah yeah <laughs> it's like a lot of crying a yes. lot of crying. Yeah. yes it's a lot of crying it's real sad but i'm like yeah this is my new church like i want to go to feminist church i want to go to church where there there are groups of women that are fully expressing and living in their pain. It's the first time that I had, I feel like an anger breakthrough. I think that accessing anger, like, again, you say, the question is like, how do I access sensuality? And for me, I'm like, yeah, I think some of these things had to come first. Like I, I, I am angry. Mm -hmm. I am angry at how I have been hurt. I am angry at how other women have been hurt. And this anger is not this is not petty or bitter. I, I view this part of myself as a guide in my life that reacts to deep injustice. Mm -hmm. And so though my relationship with anger now, like I, I love my anger. I love that she's a part of me. I love that she shows up when I see that the innocent or the vulnerable outside of myself or within myself, that they're being harmed. And I don't think that I would feel even safe to go down a path to really embrace my my body or my sensuality if my anger wasn't unlocked. Like, I think that is a key component for most women. And if you were raised in America, certainly if you were raised in a high demand religion, I just feel like as a woman, you have anger that needs to be unlocked. Like, yeah. I just don't see there being a path where that doesn't exist. Totally. Even if you don't right now connect with it. That's how I was. Right. I was, I was brought up in a session of mine that I was one of the first energy work sessions I got from a friend and she was like, you have a lot of repressed anger. And I remember feeling so strange about that. Yeah. Like no way to connect to it because anger was always bad. So I was like, it was literally like my brain was like, no, that's not You're possible. Like, that's not me, but I'm so nice. <laughs> yes. I'm like a peacekeeper. Contention yes. is of the devil, sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, and that's part of the piety that we're taught as as women is um, to not be angry, right? Yeah. Yes. So. Can I? Okay. I there's this idea that I've been so excited about for a few weeks, and I really want to share it with you. And this is a. I had told you that I had like stepped into the void and I've been in this void of nihilism and atheism for a long time. And really, I feel like it's so fortuitous. Like, I'm so happy I get to talk to you today because I feel like just in the last like six weeks to two months, I am stepping into a new space that mm -hmm. for me feels um, deeply spiritual, mm -hmm. absolutely revolves around mother God. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't believe that she, and I all, I view this all the way that I was raised where she is capitalized and her is capitalized and mother mm -hmm. God, do you know what I'm saying? Like it's yes. capitalized, that's how it feels to me. Mm -hmm. So yes. where I don't, I don't believe in like a literal, there's not like a dude with a beard out there. <laughs> and yep. I, I don't believe in a literal mother God like mm -hmm. that either. But I think the same way that I have been able to access parts of myself, like this anger part and this sensual part, these parts that are really repressed the more that I feel like I connect with those parts that are very real, but haven't been given any attention, that's how I view Mother God and the worship of Mother God. I I just believe that she's an, she exists all around us. I think Mother Earth is representative of Mother God, and um, it has really helped me connect to something that I think was dead and was mm -hmm. lost. 
it was like, again, this mm -hmm. idea that something needs to die or you need to walk away yeah. from the rubble. Mm -hmm. I yeah. absolutely think that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but now I feel like I, this idea of a spiritual path and a spiritual path for the feminine, I'm so lit up by this because all of the world's religions are male centric, every single one. And the masculine spiritual path goes something like this. Regressed, immature masculine is egotistical, dominant, domineering, entitled. And so all of these world religions uh, offer an enlightened path for the masculine to participate in ego death. So they let the ego die and they become part of the one, the great one. And I think that's, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm like, yeah, patriarchy, you could really use this lesson. Like, yes. let the ego die. This mm -hmm. idea of entitlement and dominance, that needs to die. But this idea that that is my spiritual path, in my opinion, is total bullshit. Mm. Because the ego that I, I have to let die is polite. She is sweet. She folds mm. her life into the lives of other people. Yes. She doesn't matter if she doesn't give herself to other people. Okay. So regressed feminine to me. Um, she wrongfully receives or takes on or folds her life into the lives of other people where she shouldn't. And so yeah. my spiritual path, my ego death doesn't look like folding into the great one. My spiritual path is total embodiment. And th this like learning to, to sacrifice my life for other people. I'm sorry, but if you slammed a baby out of your crotch, you had a freaking <laughs> ego death. Okay. Like yes. you have the ego death, you know, as a woman, what it means to give your life to other people. So yeah. my path is to learn how to take up space, how to use my voice, how to show up with this like snarly, ferocious mother bear energy where I think women, we're, we're ready for this. I think where we want to, like, I will rip you to shreds if you come close to my children. Yeah. You hurt this marginalized group. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I oh hear. My gosh. <laughs> I love what you're saying. I love it. Like the way that you are viewing this movement is very cool and it's filled with such different energy. I I would love to know if you know your astrological signs because you have you do embody fire so naturally. Girlfriend. Yeah. Fire all the way. I'm a Leo. Hey. <laughs> I'm a Leo yeah. as well. Yeah. We're so likable. <laughs> <laughs> We're so fierce. Look at us. We're so fierce. fierce. Yes. Don't mess so with funny. me. And I like <laughs> love to let you be fierce. But I, I, I'm just feeling this with you. And I feel like oh our gosh. hearts are just... I don't know if you feel but I feel it. And when I'm, um, the way that I am taking in what you're saying, how it's coming through my filter and back out is this balance of the masculine feminine that's yeah. happening in you. And I just have never heard it explained before in the terms that we were all raised in with this religious hierarchy system yes. where the man, the man in order to come into balance with his masculine feminine energies needs to do this part of the ego death and all of that but the woman in order to come into balance with her masculine feminine energies needs to claim stuff yeah claiming it and uh yes. oh, it was just awesome the way that you expressed that and uh, perfectly it said is, it is Thank happening you. it is happening it is happening it is. and i think globally like yeah. you're feeling it you know yeah yeah and I talk often with with women and I should talk with a man too about this to get another perspective right it's important I feel it's so super important for women as they're coming into this power and there's a lot a lot of fierceness and tons of fire and there has to be fire in order for the death to happen uh, we talked about this is a little tangent but it'll tie in we talked about witches in a podcast and the only yes. way for the death of the witch to actually occur was burning you had to burn and it's kind of i feel that way in our death cycles in our hero's journeys that there's 
burning that comes along with this death. But then again, like the phoenix rises in this flame as well. Anyway, I was saying that the women in claiming, in their claiming, the past generations, they've tried this. Feminist movements have existed. The women have been calling out and they've been clawing their way out of this container that we've been placed in, but they've been doing it and it's been tearing that man down along the way. And so claiming ourselves in a way that encourages the man to then follow also evolve. Yes. yes. Yeah. I think I'm, yes. I'm totally with you. This idea that to evolve, evolved feminine adopts um, regressed masculine, meaning just to be clear, regressed masculine is dominant, egotistical, entitled. So this idea as women that we're like, well, we need to keep up with men. So we're going to be dominant, egotistical, entitled. Mm. That... <laughs> That's not what I want. That's not the world I want to live in. And I don't want to live in a world where um, certainly where men are living in a repressed matriarchal society. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really do, if I can sum up, like, again, regressed masculine says, I'm more important than you. And regressed feminine says, I'm not as important as you. And so I think the spiritual path for each of us is just going to look different. And of course, this can be like, this doesn't have to be gendered, right? I think there are men that maybe adopt more of this, um, like feminine spiritual path, right? And I think there are women who probably need to adopt more of this masculine spiritual path, depending on like your energy, your tendencies and all of that. So I don't think it needs to be hyper gendered, but I will say as a whole, when I get in with groups of women, like again, women's circles, groups of women, I'm I'm typically not seeing this need uh, to, again, yeah, moms, you need to learn how to fold your life into other people's lives. You need yeah. to transcend the body and become the one. I'm like, no, you need to be fully embodied. Like women are yeah. so, we're so disconnected from our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. our- that masculine spiritual path, which again is like, yeah, men, the wrongful insertion of yourself sexually, physically, emotionally, where you're not invited, that's your work. And my work, the work of women is the wrongful receiving of a man, his opinions, Mm. his entitlements, (laughs) his, his emotional burdens. Like it's not my job uh, to cater and accommodate your entitlements that's not my job and the wrongful receiving of a man that's my work mm. or the masculine right I made mm-hmm. it right 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 <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. it's then the question kind of always for me it comes back to how do I show up in this claiming fierce powerful energy while also staying heart-centered and very much in love. And and I've, I've recognized and seen that this massive difference when I can tune into my heart, my fierceness comes out so much more clear and direct. And it almost provides space for other people to have that involvement. And I don't know if they'll accept it or not, but it's almost like, here's an opportunity for you, you know? And I, I literally just experienced a few things this past few days that are so in alignment with what we're talking about. And I just had to say, there was this really awesome Instagram that I just randomly saw. I wish I knew who said this quote, but they said, um, she said, we grew up in a world where we needed to learn how to speak the language of men. And now it's time that men learn to speak the language of women. Mm. And I, like, I feel, I feel like it, that kind of sums up what you were talking about, you know, Yes, this idea that we have to accommodate men because we have been doing it for so long. Yeah. I've seen what you're talking about. I think it's Meryl Streep that said that. Yes. Yes. I just loved it. I do too. I do too. Because it seems like such a radical idea. Yeah. It it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't. The waters we're swimming in are so deeply patriarchal. Yeah. Everywhere you look. So I would love help 
piecing together my connection into this is slightly different. And we, again, we talked about this on another episode. Uh, I feel this from women, mm-hmm. from women to women. Yeah, absolutely. And is it just, is it just us not a understanding what we're doing? We, we don't know ourselves. We don't embody in, in the heart centeredness uh, because a lot of what you say, I don't, I actually gratefully don't experience that from the men in my life. My dad wasn't that way. Well, yeah, he wasn't really that way. Right. We all have our things to work on. I have a great husband who's not that way at all. And my brothers, the men who surrounded me in my life didn't show me that. Yeah. I had to learn from other women that they were pissed off at men. <laughs> I was like... I would come back from group things and sessions and I would tell my husband, the women are pissed. Yeah. They're oh. so, so mad. And I see that generationally. I have that karma in my uh in my lineage, both sides. Yeah. But for me in my life, I feel it from women to myself. Right. And it, again, it could be just my own wounds. Um that need healing so that I can receive women differently. I it, it could be, I will say like most of my life, um, m- most of the modesty shaming I received was from other women, but I mm-hmm. think women are holding, like when I say all of the world's religions are born of men, right? I think that when you get to the root of like where it's coming from, yeah. uh, I think, you know, it's not like my mom, my grandma, my you know, church leaders, my female church leaders that were the ones that created the handbook or the Mm -hmm. ones that created the doctrine. I I do think that it is, I don't know, maybe this is just part of human nature that we like to keep our hands close to power. And for women, historically, that means upholding patriarchal systems. And I Mm -hmm. will say for me, where I crushed it real hard in my church and uh, did very well for myself, a lot of that was upholding the systems that I was, I, I don't, I don't want to say upholding system. Like it even came from a place of integrity. I wasn't yeah, yeah. like, like I'm horrified at some of the things I said when I was in college and an EFY counselor to oh, yeah. other young girls. I was, yeah. I was upholding mm. the system that was fed to me because mm. in my heart, I believed that it was, I was like, this is how I was taught to be a good woman. Now I'm going to teach you how to be, to be a good woman. And that includes not covering up your cleavage and no one should know that you have like are we just so freaking tired of having cleavage be regulated can we just have boobs for like oh a second oh my gosh Jen. without <laughs> them being sexualized i don't know or if they're sexualized can we just be like hey that's fine you just keep it up here and deal with it like a decent person like i think you climbed into kelsey's brain on that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah gosh. yeah but i uphold the system like i was the one mm. kind of lovingly you know chiding these young yeah, yeah, in yeah. high school that I was like well you are like showing two inches above your kneecap and like it's such a small thing that God is asking of us so like let's go change our skirt mm. like so it's just yeah. a thing that was modeled for us that's what we <laughs> saw with generations before our grandpa our grandmas our great grandmas <laughs> all the pioneer women all yep. the women that were idolized and placed before us as the standard Yes, mm-hmm. and and you did say something uh, near the beginning that I just super loved. You were, you had such compassionate understanding for your mom, and that she was just shouldering yes. um, that ideal Genera- generational wounds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so oh, sorry. Ahead, Finish your thought. I know. No, go ahead, Kelsey. Yeah, the witch wound. So I wanted to bring you up, Jen, and ask you or ask you. And kind of tell you a little bit about what we talked about in our episode, but we were we were discussing how, in a way, it's so deep in our our ge- like epigenetics that wound of a fear that if we get out of control or if we have any kind of feminine chaos or any kind of feminine, you know, owning that feminine. Yeah. Wild. Yes. Mm-hmm. Burn at the stake. It's literally yeah. like deep in our our genes you know what I mean so 
when when we think about this like cattiness or this this well you need to go you know cover up the two inches it's almost right. like that is part of until we can awaken to what we're doing which you know we've all done it's like we were just repeating what was in <laughs> what I, I, it's coming from our dna you know quite, quite literally like when we say generational wounds i'm not talking like just my grandma i think we're unpacking centuries yeah more more than that like it runs yeah. deep yeah. Well, and I want to say something on that for anybody that's listening. I feel like if you, if you know that that's there for you deep within you, for me, I don't relate to the anger that you guys are feeling in the same way, but something will come every now and then it's just this oh, deep within me. I'm just mad and I'm mad for the women that have existed before me, the women across this planet and all the experiences that have happened to women across this planet. And I think that in my acknowledgement of them in that moment, I see you, here here they are, (laughs) I see you, I feel you, and I'm gonna express this anger for you in a safe, in a safe way, meaning I'm not going to go and like bite someone's head off randomly. Right. Um, I feel that is, that is us here at this time, helping to clear the space, helping to heal the souls that have gone and their experiences and just giving it expression. I know that you both have experienced healing, profound healing in just a moment of expression. And so perhaps anyone out there that suddenly has have this rise of anger, you may not know where it's coming from, but it is so palatable in the collective right now. Yeah. So, and I think it's because there's a lot of us working on it and a lot of us willing to see it, look at it, feel it, move it, express it, be it, all of the things that are, are bringing this new, like, um, this new the more beautiful world you know that we all know is possible which is a book by Charles Eisenstein so yeah yeah I I view too like a lot of what you're saying um again anger is righteous and holy when it is in response to injustice injustices committed to the innocent Mm, yeah I again to me it's not uh it's not something that needs to be managed, yeah. right? I, I, I think for most Sacred. women, yes, yes. Again, I think I, I use the mother bear analogy because I'm like, no one bats an eye at a mother bear being vicious and violent in the wake of protecting her young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of women have this energy for, for the young parts within ourselves that were hurt as kids, mm-hmm. as young girls, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So- um, I, I feel like that anger for me is righteous and I, you know, I have two young daughters and, um, I hope that they have the kind of anger that makes people a little nervous. I hope <laughs> they have the kind of anger that makes boys a little nervous. Like she will clock me if I don't respect her body autonomy. Yeah. Like what, what would the world be like if we taught women that their anger wasn't laughable or silly but it was something to be feared like if you touch me without my consent something bad will happen and then and then (laughs) you know yeah yeah you're hysterical yeah Yeah. yes yeah they write it off you're hysterical Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, yeah Yeah, i did anger but i'm a leo you know (laughs) yeah that's so that's so so Oh man, I feel like we have more to talk about than time for the talking. That was a great conversation. Yes, I loved it too. And I feel very filled and I actually feel there is something in me that's awoken on this episode. And so I'm really curious to see where it takes me and, you know, the the wide world that this little tiny seed that was planted today will open up to me. So I thank you for that. And you blessed us 
and I'm sure you bless anybody that is listening and feeling into this. We will link Jen's um, social pages and her website. Please check out her art. You will be in just inspired by Absolutely. the movement that exists and the emotion that exists in each and every piece. And also your social media and the things that you share on there are also just like you heard today. So if you want to be continually inspired by Jen, check her out. We'll link her, her sites on the show notes. And thank you so much for listening and joining us today on The Reclamation. Thanks so much for having me, Malia and Kelsey. It was such a safe space. I loved it. Thank you. Oh, make our day saying that. Yes, <laughs> that's all we want here. <laughs> thank you so much for listening, guys. We had a little hiccup on the end of that episode, but we are excited to jump into our next conversation. And in the meantime, stay in a place of love. And we just encourage you to continue to walk that unique individual path to yourself, reclaiming your body and loving it just the way it is. And we will see you soon on our next episode.